Hey, greetings, folks. It's Keith Billick here with a Picky Fingers podcast bonus episode. So I'm not going to take a long time doing my usual preamble stuff. The only thing I want to make sure I remind you of is that this upcoming Monday, December 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern is the monthly Picky Fingers VIP lounge for very important pickers. However, for the holiday season, I have opened that meeting uh, to everybody. And what this is, it's a video conference where you can join me and your fellow listeners and we'll chat some banjos, maybe even play some banjos. It's always a great time, uh, but it's usually reserved for Patreon supporters. But I, if you go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, even if you're not a supporter, you uh, that meeting link is already up. So uh, meet me there on Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern. I hope to see you all there. So a lot of you may remember me talking about going down to Raleigh, North Carolina this last fall for the annual IBMA convention, representing the podcast, doing interviews. So this bonus episode was recorded at IBMA. The The last episode I put out with Cameron DeWitt uh, was my first IBMA episode to release. And then the next five or so interviews that you're going to hear over the coming uh, weeks and months will all be IBMA uh, interviews. That took place at IBMA, rather. Uh, I was working it down there. I'm, I'm not afraid to pat myself on the back about that. I, I worked hard and got a lot of interviews, but I wasn't the only one down there working very hard for the Picky Fingers podcast. I deployed my top secret, highly trained tactical interviewing unit onto the streets of Raleigh, North Carolina, and had my special field agent conduct man-on-the-street style interviews with a lot of players whose names you will recognize, uh, maybe a lot whose names you won't. But either way, it's a bunch of not quite unedited, but very lightly edited, laid back and sometimes silly and sometimes thought-provoking short conversations with a, a bunch of people who just happened to be uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time at IBMA and were confronted and uh, had an inner or a, a microphone stuck in their face. And this is what happened. So enjoy the bonus episode, the man on the street interviews. Okay, this is Grace Van Hoff, the Picky Fingers banjo on the ground correspondent. I'm here at the iconic Raleigh Poorhouse, and I am here interviewing banjo players. Would you please state your name and tell me a little bit about the banjo that you're playing this week? For the record, my name is Brian Alley, with an I. Uh, banjo I'm playing, I'm actually playing two banjos this weekend. I'm playing my trusty 1994 Gibson Mastertone Scruggs model, which I love and have had since I was 13 years old. And uh, a Brooks model uh, claw hammer banjo, Brooks Mastin out of Portland, Oregon, which I'm very fond of. Wow, two for the price of one. All right, well, Brian, it's really, really nice to talk to you. Can you tell me who you're playing with this week? Yeah, Grace. By the way, it's really good to see you. I miss my banjo friends. Miss oh, my thank you. Yeah, I miss seeing uh, humans in person, too. Um, I have the great pleasure of being uh, here in Raleigh this week with my dear pals and bandmates, Never Come Down. Tight. And y'all just released a new record, right? We did. Uh, we did. And even if you don't like music at all, um, if you're into artwork, this killer artist did all of the 
all of the work on the album. We're very proud of it. If nothing else, it is something to be hung on a wall or used as a coaster. I can neither confirm nor deny that. All right, Brian, I have one question for you. Um, what makes the psyche of a banjo player different from that of the more general population? I think collectively we banjo players are the most fearless people on earth. Uh, if you were to describe the sound of the banjo in one word, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, one word, what would you say? Shrink! Thank you very much. This is Grace signing out. Right. So this is Grace Van Hoff. I'm the on-the-street correspondent for the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I am here at the Vintage Church in historic Raleigh, North Carolina. Sir, would you please state your name and then tell us what banjo you're playing this week? Uh, my name is Colton Powers. I'm from Kingsport, Tennessee, and I'm playing a, a 1928 TB2 conversion, uh, uncut. Wow, that's incredible. And who are you playing with? I'm playing with Seth Mulder and Midnight Run. Nice. I've heard good things. I've heard good things. Very, very cool band. Um, I have a couple questions for you. The first being, if you had used one word to describe the sound of the banjo, one word, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, just one word, what would that be? Happy. It's a very happy sounding instrument. It's, uh, I feel like it's, I mean, it don't even suit like a lot of like sad music very well. It's, it's just a naturally, you know, uplifting sort of sounding instrument to me and always will be. Very cool. Very cool. And, um, I have another question for you. Are you familiar with like the work of Thomas Edison? Okay. And Nikolai Tesla. So if Earl Scruggs is the Thomas Edison of bluegrass banjo, who do you think is Nikolai Tesla? Oh, good. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that. That's totally okay. Um, let me ask you one more question. So we both know I'm a banjo player. I don't know if you knew that, but you're a banjo player, banjo player to banjo player. We know that the banjo player's psyche is different. What do you think makes the banjo player's psyche, the mind of the banjo player, different than, say, a stock trader, a doctor, a veterinarian, or a mandolin player? I would say it's it's very much in tune with that of the mind of an artist, in that you can there's usually two typical paths that a banjo player would go down, and it, one would be to follow tradition, like I'm trying to you know trying to really channel channel earl because he's my hero or you could be an innovator you know looking to break break the banjo into new types of music and new sounds so i, I very much think it's the uh, the mind of an artist that's very cool thank you so much i really appreciate talking to you absolutely thank you cool could you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjo you are playing this week at the ibma world of bluegrass uh, my name's Corey Walker, and I play a Earl Scruggs Gibson from uh, 2000. Amen. Great. So have you bought it a drink yet? Uh, not yet, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Okay. I really like sweet tea. Yeah, buy it a sweet tea. Okay, so Corey, um, with your approach to the banjo, do you take a more outside approach facing in or a more inside approach facing out and after you answer that could you elaborate um both and probably not 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, could you describe the sound of the banjo in one word? Not a hyphenate, not a phrase, just one word. Uh, golly. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, one more question for you. Are you, in, are you uh, familiar with engineering or electrical theory at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're aware of the work of uh, Thomas Edison? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so if Earl Scruggs is the Thomas Edison of bluegrass banjo, who is the Nikolai Tesla? Ooh. I think... Maybe James Key. James Key. Can you uh, can you elaborate on that in a little bit for me? He's he's a really good lamb and uh, he's a good baby boy and uh, I'm just so so happy uh, to know him and uh, it, it's going to be a great show here at IBMA for East Nash Grass. I really appreciate that. And I have one final follow-up question for you. Could you make three lamb songs, starting with a happy, contented lamb, uh, second, a lamb that is uncertain, and third, a lamb that is distressed? Yeah, of course I could. Please go ahead and do that. Uh, I don't have my instrument. Oh, you want me to name them? With your mouth. Oh. Could you make a lamb sound with your mouth? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what I asked? Yep. Okay. Little baby lambs, really nice. And that's the first one. It's kind of a motif. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's a motif. And uh, for the second one, was that, was he kind of concerned? Concerned. Oh, no. What about that lamb? Okay. And then distressed. Uh, probably go with. Yeah. Very nice. And um, what's your favorite uh, brand of banjo case? Colton. Thank you so much. Okay. Could you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjo that you're playing this week? Sure thing. Uh, my name is George Jackson, and this here is a banjo. It's a uh, 1926 TB3 conversion. Uh, gives a master tone with a new Frank Neat neck on it. Um, I bought it from Corey Walker earlier this year and been having fun playing it. So, yeah. That's interesting. We spoke to Corey Walker earlier, um, but he didn't mention that. So that's uh, that's very interesting. I have a question for you. If you had to describe the sound of the banjo in one word, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, just one word, what would you say? The sound of the banjo in one word. Yes, that's what I said. Oof. Uh, is, it, is woof your answer? Oof, yeah. That'll do. Oof, oof. No W. O-F-T. That's my preferred spelling. Oft. Okay, so I have a couple more questions for you. First of all, uh, I think it's generally accepted that the psyche of a banjo player is slightly different from that of the psyche of someone who is a member of the general public. What do you think sets them apart? Uh, I guess the fact that I can't answer this question is an answer enough. Thank you for that. And then one more question. Uh, where are you playing next? About to play in room, th- room 306 uh, with Jake Blunt in his band. Are you playing with picks or not? Indeed, I'm playing with picks. That's bluegrass, folks. Thank you so much. Uh, sir, could you please state your name and talk a little bit about your banjo that you're here with this week? My name, my name is Greg Cahill, and uh, I'm here with Special Consensus. 
And I have uh, actually an old Kel Croydon, 1934, 35, uh, and uh, the, it's uh, actually the the tone ring in it is uh, Pruka, and and uh, Cor- I'm trying to think of the the gentleman's name who made the neck for it, and uh, Krishak, Krishak, over in Czech Republic. And then I'm also playing uh, my Deering Julia Bell for low tuning for a couple tunes, so. I'm just, I'm a 10-string player this weekend. That's incredible. That's probably more than anybody here. That's what I try to do. You know, I figure, well, if you if you can't play well, just have more strings at least. And it's, it's sort of impressive, you know, especially when I try to play them at the same time. Now, I have a personal question, and this is a side of my man-on-the-street duties, but is that set of strings from the Tony Ellis thing, like the John Hartford thing? The low, the low tone thing. Yeah, it was based on a John Hartford uh, model. Uh, actually, the Deerings approached Allison Brown, and she said, "Let's do a tribute to John Hartford." So, the the cool thing about it, for real, is you know he he was just such a Renaissance man, and one of the things that uh, that he did was go to art school. So he was a pencil sketch artist, and Allison and uh, his daughter Katie went through his boxes of sketches and found sketches that related to his time as a pilot on the Julia Bell Swain. And those are the inlay patterns. Greg Deering made them into Mother Pearl earrings, Deering's <laughs> inlays <laughs> on the banjo <laughs> earrings. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool. It's uh, it's all there are his sketches and and uh, Greg Deering did a fabulous job of making them into Mother of Pearl ear- inlays. That sounds delightful, and they're also available as earrings if you email yeah. the Deering Company. They might be a little heavy, it'd be tough on your earlobe, but, you know, it's probably doable. If you're into it, you're into it, That's and right. you can go for it. Uh, now, Greg, I have a question for you. If you had to describe the sound of the banjo in one word, not a phrase, just one word, how would you describe it? Loud. Thank you. And I have one more question. Uh how does the psyche of a banjo player differ from that of the psyche of someone just walking around in the general public, say a stock trader, um, a pharmacist, a fiddle player? Well, they're probably thinking sums on the keyboard, fingers. Uh, we're just thinking thumb index middle most of the time, you know, Tim. And that's, that's the secret. Tim. Tim is the secret. You heard it here right from the source, folks. Um, Yeah, I'm here with Greg Cahill, and I really, really appreciate your input. Well, thank you very much, Grace. Always a pleasure to have a chat with you. Thank you. Likewise. Grace out. So could you please tell me your name and then talk a little bit about the banjo that you're playing this week? My name is Henry Stritt, and I'm from Eugene, Oregon. The banjo I'm playing is a 1940 TB... 11 conversion with a frank neat neck uh, I can't remember <laughs> that's totally okay that sounds like a really really cool banjo where did you get it uh, we got it at the Jim Mills banjo shop oh wow so when did you go there how long have you had it uh, see a day so a, a day you've had this banjo for a day yeah tell me how much you like it uh, I love it I it's like really poppy, kind of punchy banjo. That's so cool. And what kind of picks are you using on it to get that pop? I have a bl- 
Blue Trip, JD Crow Thumb Pick, and then I have Yates Finger Picks. That's awesome. Okay, so I have a couple more questions for you, if that's okay. If you ha- could use one word to describe the sound of the banjo to you, what would it be? One word. So it's really kind of snappy, poppy. That's pretty, Those are two good words. Those are two good words. Okay, I have one other question. What, does, what makes banjo players so special as far as bluegrass instrumentalists go? What makes banjo players set aside, set apart? So they're just more chill than other really low-key, really humble. So that's what sets them apart. Cool. Thank you so much, Henry. I really appreciate it. This is Grace Van Hoff. I'm here with the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You're on the street correspondent for World of Bluegrass, IBMA 2021. I'm at the iconic poorhouse in Raleigh, North Carolina. Sir, would you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjo you were playing tonight? Hi, I'm Hubby Jenkins, and my banjo was made by a man named Greg Galbraith, who lives in West Virginia somewhere, uh, and his company is called Buckeye Banjos. Um, I played one of it. I was doing a recording session at uh, Joe... No, not Joe Bass's house. Was it Joe Bass? Yeah, it was at Joe Bass's house doing a banjo session and a recording session, and he had one of them like sitting by the fireplace, and I was just noodling on it. And I was like, I need one of these in my life, um, and then it happened, and we're madly in love with each other. Her name is uh, Zephyra, and uh, yeah. It's a love story for the centuries, folks. Now, hubby, first question. If you could describe the sound of the banjo in one word, not a phrase, not a hyphenate, what would you say? I guess if I had to only pick one word, it doesn't have to be a real word, right? Because I feel like it would be like, blang, you know what I'm talking about? Blang. Blang. Beautiful. Beautiful. And one more question for you. Now, as banjo players, I'm a banjo player, you're a banjo player, we have, you know, that rapport. What do you think makes the psyche of the banjo player different from that of the general public, if anything? Oh, my. Um, You know, honestly, I think it also depends on the banjo style, right? Because bluegrassers, I'm an old-timey son of a gun, so I do a lot of claw hammer, I do my two-finger picking, all that kind of stuff. So I think that we got a swagger. Clawhammer banjo players got a little bit more of a swagger than uh, the bluegrass pickers. I mean, we're still cool and all, but yeah, I'm going to say swagger. Now, follow-up question. Would you say that swagger is more than the general public, like your person on the street, your mandolin player, your fiddle player, your stock trader? Absolutely. I mean, the stock trader and the mandolin player, always late. They're just late. You know, even when they're early, they're late. They're in a rush. Fiddle players, they're, you know, they're like, oh, I'll get there when I get there. But the banjo player's right. It's a perfect timing. It's the rhythm and the melody. It's the balance. It's the yin and the yang. That's where the swagger is. It's in the hips. It's in the fingers, just like that. Would you say that the swagger lives in the pocket? I would say it lives in the hips. Now, if you've got pockets on your hips, that's fine, but it's in the hips. Thank you, hubby. This is Grace Van Hoff. I'm back at the convention center for the Raleigh 2021 IBMA World of Bluegrass Business Convention and Fan Fest. It's Bluegrass time. Sir, could you please state your name and tell me who you're playing with this week? 
I'm James Key, and I'm playing with the East Nashgrass here at IBMA. And what instrument are you playing with that group? I'm playing guitar and doing a little singing. And I used to play mandolin with the band, and me and Harry still switching recently. So I'm playing guitar, and he's playing mandolin, but on the record, it's the other way around. Is that unsettling for you? No, I'm enjoying it. It's, it's just like it's a lot more responsibility. I have to know the chords to songs now. When I played mandolin, I could just fake it. You know, I don't, you just chop. Nobody knows if that guy really knows what the hell's going on. You just not. go, what? Right, yeah. yeah. Now I got I to gotta actually know. I had to actually learn the song. So that was tough. So is that true for guitar, that you have to know the chords to a song? Mostly, because I still don't know all of them. Some of them we call those off chords. Off chords. I heard those were jazz chords. Do you yeah. play jazz chords? Uh, sometimes when, when on accident. Yeah, same, same, same. And I heard you also play the banjo. Is that true? I do, but don't tell everybody. Well, this, this is recorded for a podcast that's going out on the internet. So, you know, whoever might download this, uh, definitely 20 people might hear this. Uh, what kind of banjo do you have at home? I've got a 56 bow tie and I've got an 84 Earl Scruggs. Dude's a guitar player and he's got a better banjo than me. <laughs> well, so I have a couple questions for you. Um, as a guitar player and a banjo player, you might have a unique perspective. Do you think that the banjo player's psyche is different from that of the general public? And what would you say makes it different? I think that banjo players do have a different psyche. I think theirs is most in line with the bass player. And I think you have to be pretty weird to identify as a banjo player. So that means that you as a character are probably going to be already fairly colorful. That's nice to hear. Okay, I have one more question for you. If you could describe the sound of the banjo in one word, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, just one word, what would that be? Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, this is Grace Vantoff. I'm at the Raleigh Convention Center for uh, the IBMA World of Bluegrass 2021. Could you please state your name and let me know a little bit about the banjo that you're here with this week? My name is Joe Newberry. I'm here with Enoch number 211, my uh, old-time open back banjo. And how long have you had that banjo? Banjo was made for me in 1997, and that's the only banjo I travel with these days. By Enoch himself? Yes. It, uh, he made a custom banjo with, with actually no inlay at all. Wow. I didn't want it. I, I wanted a plain, it's it's black lacquer with a black hoop, and I just wanted that. Um, and when he brought the banjo to me at Augusta in Elkins, West Virginia, he said, I had to do something. I said, what? He said, turn it over. And he, I turned over the banjo and on the dowel rod, which is black. He had engraved his name, but in red. So it's sort of like lingerie. I know it's there. It's a fun little secret for those who know. For those who knows. That's right. For those who knows. For those who knows. Yes. If anyone is unaware, Kevin Enoch is not only a king of banjo making, but also of inlay. Kevin Enoch's inlay is exquisite. And I always say that he is making the great old banjos of the future. I would agree with that. Um, so, Joe, uh, what is what are your hopes for this week, banjo-wise? I'm trying to get into a series of sessions with three-finger players 
so I can work claw hammer overhand with the three finger just to explore. Okay, so I have a couple more questions for you. As banjo players, I'm a banjo player. I don't know if you know you're a banjo player. Uh, banjo players have a little different psyche than the rest of the public. What do you think makes the banjo player's psyche different from, say, a stock trader, a lawyer, a cashier at a bank, or a fiddle player? A banjo player will do the same motion 10,000 times drool out of both sides of their mouth, clean up and go on. Wonderful. And one more question. Uh, I think you're aware of the work of Thomas Edison. You're aware of bluegrass music. Um, so if Earl Scruggs is the Thomas Edison of bluegrass banjo, who is the Nikolai Tesla? Danny Barnes. Thank you so much. That's the correct answer. Sir, could you please state your name and tell me a little bit about the banjo that you are here with this week? Hey, everybody. My name is Mark Delaney, and I'm uh, here with uh, Danny Paisley in the Southern Grass. Uh, the banjo I play, I got about 30 years ago. It's a 1934 Gibson Checkerboard 6, and it was owned by a, uh, a Dixieland jazz banjo player bought it brand new 34 until his death in 95 and then i got it about six months later so it's been it's been on the front line playing banjo its whole life ah so it's a conversion yeah it was a plectrum and uh one piece flange it was the like the last of the style sixes because you know they were 400 bucks and not that many people in 1934 had that kind of money for a banjo so they were, by that point, they were kind of putting parts together however they could. The one I have came out of a plectrum, flathead, uh, one-piece flange, and a nickel-plated and gold-plated. But the jazz guy was in an orchestra, and the flathead was too punk. And he wanted, you know, I was like, man, I need to be heard. He sent it back to Gibson. They stuck a shim, a couple shims in there, and put an arch top ring and that banjo sent it back to him and he's like oh that's great i love it because that was the sound so was, we're back to the other thing so i have no idea where the tone ring ended up if gibson just threw it back in the scrap metal pile or what and uh and jim burlisle made me a tone ring fits right on there but uh the stickers at the bottom of the rim because it was made and left the factory as a flathead that's got all that even though it's not well, that's good to hear that um, a banjo like that conceived in sin is on an upward trajectory towards the light of bluegrass music. I have a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Oh, of course. All right. So um, if you could pick one word to describe the sound of the banjo, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, just one word, what would that word be, Mark? Hypnotic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, are you familiar with the work of Thomas Edison? Yes, and uh, but I'm not quite as familiar with uh, employees of his who actually kind of, you know, thought up the light bulbs. Well, if you want to go on a little uh, sort of journey of metaphor with me, if you will, if Earl Scruggs 
is the Thomas Edison of the bluegrass banjo. Who would you say is the Nikolai Tesla? Man, well, boy, it's a tough one. It's a real, real, real tough one. I mean, to begin with, Earl Scruggs was the Tesla of Snuffy Jenkins for him. And then it, it just does that. That's a valid point. That's a good point. But is him being the father of bluegrass banjo, which he is, was. He took styles and things that he knew and he learned, um, like anyone who kind of creates their own thing. And he smoothed it out. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't create the three-finger roll, but he made everybody want to play the three-finger roll. You know, and uh, the Tesla, man, in, in a certain way, I would say Bill Keith. Mm. Oh, oh. You know, because sticking with banjos, keeping the, the, the parallel, uh, Bill Keith was plugged into, so to speak, uh, society and the comforts in that. His brilliant thinking was half to support that core kind of creature comfort thing. Bill Keith had a machine shop. He repaired Jaguars. He, 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 he basically invented a, a, a detuner and he did it all. So Keith tuners. Keith tuners. So Keith tuners represent his attitude he was he did this brilliant like re-engineering like Tom Neckville has done of the tuner so that you could play Earl's Breaker. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that response, Mark. The correct answer that we were looking for was Don Reno, but I do I do appreciate I appreciate your input on that. I have one more question. What do you think makes the uh, psychic makeup of a banjo player different from that of say a stock trader, an orthodontist, or um, an old-time fiddler? Wow. Boy, that's a good question. The, um, how would it differ? Yeah. What makes it special? What sets the, the mind and brain of a banjo player apart from that of the common man? Well, us sitting here right now, uh, come from two things that I was fascinated with when I was seven I joke and say well I know how to do a couple of things and everything else I'm a complete idiot but the uh, was fixing things taking things apart seeing how they worked when I was seven I did it and making music so I think there's kind of a bridge making mentality like a like an architecture of like the artisan where playing the banjo you're creating you're creating music like playing any other instrument or singing or anything but there's a set of boundaries and within sets of boundaries within sets of boundaries and you even though we create all of our boundaries like the dissonant note C and B clash, but why? Because we were told they clash, you know. And and so there's that, but we still have it's like it's like making a bridge where 
That's why I love bridge. I have photos of bridges. I love covered bridges. Because how creative can you be? And how beautiful you can make it, how different the design, but it still has to be a bridge. Ah. Like it's, you know. So innovation within a template. Yeah, yeah. And then, and so you get more traditional bluegrass, a little more contemporary, that kind of thing, is how small a box that is. You know, like the older I get, the more of a genius Earl Scruggs was because he had this box, small box that he was in and never stepped out of it. Yeah. You know? Now, it's easy for him not to step out of it because in a way he kind of created that box. And he didn't reinvent like Miles Davis did or Bale Fleck did. He found something that moved him made him want to play and he did that even through the 70s with his son's band and they playing the hippie thing he was still and he played all those songs but it was still that Earl Scruggs role the Foggy Mountain Breakdown role so we can go stretch out this far that far but it still has to be what we hear if that's what you're playing or whatever and if you remove that box then you're making music with the banjo and you're not having to touch bass, you know, with that box you're in. You have your, just like, I'm just, I play this, why do I play this? Why do I love just sitting there with no audience? I don't care about it, that's not why I do this. I'm, I'm off to the side, I never want my name on the, you know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like Side that. guy. Yeah, I'm a side guy. I'm a butler. You know? And it's a great kind of way. You, how creative can you be? But still, you got to be at the show on time. Just be ready, prepared, and you're about to go to work. You know? And we make that. We make a flight. The flight's, you know, and, and us as bluegrassers, we're flying around, and we get the cheapest rate going, and then sometimes they're like three layovers. You know? <laughs> But hey, I'll give you get the ticket for two hundred bucks. Jeez, I feel a little triggered hearing that. <laughs> yeah, we know how to do that. We can maneuver around that. But when we don't have to do that, as banjo, we're noodling around. It's just like, okay, what kind of mood am I in today? Where am I doing? You know, let's. Where's this going to take me? And then you can turn it around and apply it. So, as a mechanic in the other world, that other part. I was the only person in the entire shop that did not have a boom box. Because I was like, well, that's, I'm not a musician, I am a mechanic. And with that, yeah, there's two attitudes. There's the being a mechanic, but then I ended up restoring old motorcycles. So that's, you know, obviously I found, I found the least profitable way to do that profession. You know, like, it's like I'm a banjo player. <laughs> but you can go two routes. You can be creative within your box. And if you're an electrician or a mechanic, they're very small boxes because you have, you're, you're, you're paid by somebody to repair something. And that's that. Or you can get off and say, you know what? I'm kind of 
digging the emotional side of this and then and then you leave so that's the separation you know so what I'm hearing is a banjo player has a choice and that choice is what color am I going to paint the container today or am I going to build a new container exactly and also uh, that banjo players have a natural nose for sniffing out all that money I really really appreciate talking to you Mark any more financial tips, you can check out Mark online with Danny Paisley. And uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. And I've admired your work. And when we met, what, is, uh, what year was that? What year was that? Dude, I don't know. Yeah. Something like uh, Del Val or something. Yeah. And it was probably, yeah. Poor Keith has to listen. Hi, Keith. has to listen to this later. I was like just catching up. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, no, but I loved it. I lo- I, I'm really glad uh, to see you here making well, music. The admiration is like beyond mutual. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. Uh, sir, would you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjo you're here with this week? I am Rob McCurry, and I am here with my 1936 TB75 conversion. It's got a Steve Huber tone ring in it, which has been in it now for golly 25 years probably and it was kind of when Steve first got into doing his thing and we all know how great that's become and how good they are and it's got a Bob Gibbons five string neck in it and it's 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 not my most original piece of uh, machinery but it's probably my favorite to play for sure play it all the time it does the job. Have you taken the tone ring out for a drink yet? <laughs> Actually, probably so. I probably have. But actually, since Steve put it together, I think only one time, Matt and I may be even wrong, it's been so long. I think it's been together like it is with the same head and everything on it since Steve put it together. Well, shoot, you got to take the whole banjo out then. Um, I do. All right, so I have one more question for you. As a banjo player, and I'm a banjo player. I don't know if you knew that. I'm a banjo player. Absolutely. A great banjo player. Well, that's that's up for debate. But uh, banjo players have a slightly different psyche than that of the general population. Can you uh, put a finger on it or elaborate on what makes a banjo player's psyche different than your normal pedestrian human out in, out in the public? You know, I... I really believe that, you know, banjo playing, I mean, I think musicians in general, but I think banjo players, they have this mechanical side of their brain that kind of never really shuts down. It's like, it's always working. And it's like, and, and I was a mechanic by trade before I got into playing music full time, but there's this, this side of me, it's like my, I, I air banjo all the time with my right hand. It's like when I hear something, I'm like, how are they doing that? And, it, and I think that's just your mechanical side that doesn't shut down. My, my wife tells me at night, like, I, I, I put, if I put my right arm around her, she's like, my fingers are moving in the night because it never shuts down. And it's, I think it's something that's, uh, you know, you, you, can't, you can't stop it. It's just in your psyche. And, you know, we're very normal people, though. Very normal people. I think that's up for debate. 
Probably is up for debate. All right, so you said it. Banjo players are basically Iron Man on the street. Would you, uh, uh, can I ask you one more question, a real quick one? Sure. If you had to use one word to describe the sound of the banjo, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, just one word, what would you say? Awesome. Thank you so much, Robbie. You're welcome. (laughs) My friend, could you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjos you're here with this week? Hi, I'm Cameron DeWitt. And I brought two banjos with me. I brought my Ohm Jubilee. You know, when I, when I got like when I got my first fancy banjo back in the day, I just wanted to get the one that Abigail Washburn had because I was a huge fan. So that's the one I still have. It served me well. But my other one is an Eric Proust banjo. It's like a tack head. Um, I guess some people refer to them as minstrel style. So, but uh, to clarify for people who would need to hear that. So you're here with two banjos. Yes. Now, Cameron, can you tell me, why do you hate bluegrass? Why do I hate bluegrass? Um, (laughs) Just the the general, just the general vibes. (laughs) No, I like like it really well. Um, I guess I was a little intimidated coming here as an old-time player and being a little out of my element. Oh, so you're an old-time player. I am, yes. But uh, everyone's been super sweet the entire time. And I think a lot of bluegrass players, a little old-time curious, and I feel like I'm serving some sort of purpose here by being here. That's a very, very interesting take, Cameron, and I'd like to talk a little more about that. By old-time curious... What do you think? Do you think that bluegrass players could benefit from the influence of learning the history of old-time music? Yeah, listening to Bluegrass's Weird Uncle. (laughs) Bluegrass's Weird Uncle. You heard it right from the source here. You heard it from an old-time banjo player, Mr. Cameron DeWitt. Now, I have a couple other questions for you. Cameron, if you had to describe the sound of the banjo in one word, what would you say? One word. Okay, let me think, let me think, let me think. One word. I would say, um, strings. Strings. Okay, you heard it right here, folks. It's S-T-R-I-N-K-S. Strings. I should have gone with head. I should have gone with hide. Wait. Go ahead. Hide. Do you want strings or do you want hide? Bridge. Bridge. (laughs) No, I'm just saying words. Bluegrass fans, this is the old time music. We have a hard time. We have a hard time settling in. Now, I have to say, as someone who dabbles in the old time music, I might be complicit in the strengths, the hide, the bridge. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Cameron a couple other questions, if that's okay. Cameron, what is your capacity here at IBMA this week? Oh, I'm here to record clandestine episodes of my podcast, Get Up in the Cool which is an old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. We play some candid old-time and old-time adjacent musics, and I interview my guests. And I'm also here to start spreading the word about Tall Poppy String Band, my new old-time string band trio, new album coming out uh, sometime in the spring, 2022. That's exciting. And will you be playing the banjo on that album? Yes, I will be playing these very two banjos that I brought with me. 
That's wonderful. And I have one more question for you. Uh, do you prefer Earl Scruggs or Don Reno? Oh, wow. The people, this is like a big feels, a big feelings question for a lot that's of people. That's true. That's true. For bluegrass players, that's a big feels question. Here's, here's what I heard. I heard that there's a bunch of Don Reno fans who say Don Reno would have been the Earl Scruggs if he hadn't, like, gone to war or something. Isn't that, like, part of the rhetoric? Like, he was in war, at, at war, so Earl Scruggs got to, like, fill the vacuum. Yes, those are the historical facts. Those are the facts. Okay, great. Yes. Just because just it's rhetoric doesn't mean it's not facts. <laughs> rhetoric does not equal facts, and you heard it right from the mouth of an old-time banjo player. This is our friend Cameron DeWitt, and it is so nice to talk to you. Sir, could you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjo you're here with this week? Uh, I'm Trevor Holder, and I'm here with a 1930 TB1 that I've had for about three years. Nice. And where did you procure that for yourself? I, I got it from a friend back in Chattanooga. Are you from Chattanooga? I'm from close to Chattanooga, Ringgold, Georgia, so it's right across the line, you know, into Georgia. Well, that's very nice to hear. And who are you here playing with this weekend, or are you just playing with yourself? Uh, the Price Sisters, not myself. <laughs> very nice to hear. Okay, so I have a couple questions for you. First being, this is a very quick question, if you could describe the sound of the banjo in one word, not a hyphenate, not a phrase, what would you say? Wonderful. That's what I said. That's the correct answer. <laughs> um, secondly, how would you say that a banjo player's psyche is different from sort of uh, psychological makeup of somebody in the general public? Uh, well, me being a Don Reno banjo player, I, I think in the forward role one time, a lot of times, so I can't really think. Just like me stumbling over my words here, I can usually only think in one direction compared to the average person. Well, that's just fine to hear. Okay, so I have one more question for you. If Earl Scruggs, and I happen to know that you have a little bit of a background in engineering, an educational background in engineering, am I correct to say that? that? That's true, yeah. Okay. Okay. So if Thomas Edison, if Earl Scruggs is the Thomas Edison of bluegrass banjo, who would you say the Nikolai Tesla is? Well, Don Reno, of course. And why would you say that? Well, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't know who all listens to this podcast. Um, You're not going to get in trouble. <laughs> but uh, I'd say because uh, I think Don Reno learned directly from Snuffy Jenkins and Earl Scruggs only saw him from a distance. If that's what I'd say. Thank you so much, Trevor. <laughs> we really appreciate your input. All right. All right. This is Grace Van Hoff. I'm back in the Raleigh Convention Center here at the 2021 World of Bluegrass Convention. Sir, would you please state your name and talk a little bit about the banjo you've been picking on recently? It really feels like uh, I was about to go uh, get a process to go into jail with the sir when I, I don't usually get called sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Did, I mean, is there something else you'd like me to call you? No, I liked it, actually. I just wanted to remark on it. My name's Tristan Scroggins. Um, I made a tenor banjo record um, because I was trying to be as niche as possible, apparently. I always wanted to be a banjo player. I just was never really smart enough for it. So I played the mandolin instead. And then one day I was hanging out in Griffin Stringed Instruments and they had some tenor banjos sitting around. And I started playing one and real, and I was, it's tuned the same, you know, in fifths. And so I could like 
I had worked up all these like Bela Fleck tunes on the mandolin, like learning Bela stuff, just transcribing it to the mandolin, and like suddenly it, it sounded like a banjo, but I was playing the mandolin stuff. And that was really exciting, and so I started kind of messing around with it and kind of trying to manifest some banjo energy in the world for myself because I couldn't really justify buying a tenor banjo. And eventually somebody, uh, a friend of mine, John Tracy, at the beginning of when everything shut down, so in, uh, around April uh, 2020, he mailed me a tenor banjo, and I sat around all year playing it and just playing a lot of stuff that I played on the mandolin and coming up with new arrangements for stuff. And then when things started to open up, I thought, oh, I should record this. It'd be really nice. Just a little thing for me. And so we got this. It's just a little peek in my brain over the pandemic. Very weird mix of songs. You got your fiddle tunes, your like Seneca Square Dance or your Angeline the Baker, but then randomly some jazz. I got Don't Get Around Much Anymore, but then meddling into an Ed Haley tune. And then also some percussive um, foot stuff. Um, to back myself up and also some ham bone and singing as a little homage to Mark Schatz who um, I got to spend a bunch of time with um, and learn that stuff from. Right. Well, that's all very fine and good. Do you have anything to say about the banjo you're playing, which was my original question? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the banjo is uh, Paramount style C. I don't know that much about it. It's from the 30s, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm like I said, I'm not smart enough to play the banjo, so I don't know anything about the parts or I haven't changed the strings on it either, but I just, I think it sounds nice. And um, when do you plan on converting it to a five string? How dare you? <laughs> and um, if I could ask you a few more questions, when did you decide that you hate bluegrass? You know, it's been a long, slow burn, um, probably starting when I was uh, about two years old. I would only listen to uh, three CDs. Uh, one was, I can't remember his name, it's Bonnie Sims, uh, who's, she's a mandolin player in Colorado. Her father made it a children's album. He's based in Texas, and um, I was born in Texas. So I listened to that. I would listen to a very rare but very good um, country music for kids album that Disney put out. That It has Earl Scruggs and Merle Haggard and Emmylou Harris. It's a great album. I'd listen to those two. And then UFO Tofu, the Bela Fleck and the Flecktones album, would uh, listen to that to go to sleep as, a, as an infant. And that probably is what started the seed of both loving the banjo and hating bluegrass dancing. Yeah, that's, that's what drove you to madness. Yes. Okay, so Tristan, if I could ask you a couple more questions. Um, first of all, if you could use one word to describe the sound of the banjo, what would it be? Corrugated. Lovely. All right. One final question for you. If Earl Scruggs was the Thomas Edison of bluegrass banjo, who's the Nikolai Tesla? This feels like a trick question. And I know I'm focusing on the wrong part, but this uh, metaphor implies that there is some version of the banjo elephant that Edison electrocuted that Earl Scruggs killed somehow. Um, Do you know about the elephant thing? Yes, um, to to go off on an unnecessary tangent, I do know about the elephant that Thomas Edison murdered. I was sort of thinking more in the general innovator sense, I like mean, uh, Thomas Edison innovated electricity, and Nikolai Tesla also innovated electricity, but was sort of left along the wayside. I was just I mean, I, curious about your um, I, I, is, your unpolitical opinion about that. My unpolitical opinion, like uh, justice for Topsy. But um, 
you know, I wanted to say, <laughs> I guess Don Reno, actually. I, I do think people like to act like Earl was like, I, like, there's no, obviously Earl is amazing and everything, but like Don was doing three finger stuff with Bill Monroe before Earl was. And like, it wouldn't have been the same, but it, I don't, we don't know how different it would have been. But I do like things the way they are now, I guess. Would you say that was maybe a sliding doors moment? I don't know what that means. Okay, nice to talk to you, Tristan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Grace. And there you have it, folks. The Man on the Street interviews from IBMA 2021, conducted by the one and only Grace Vanthoff, who really hit the sidewalk and and the streets of IBMA and worked hard for you folks to get you those exclusive interviews. Once again, meet me at the VIP Lounge this upcoming Monday, December 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern. You do not need to be a Patreon supporter to join the video call with me and your fellow uh, listeners. All you have to do, though, is go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to get that meeting link. Uh, Thanks for joining me for this bonus episode. I'll see you all next time.